Um, I might have said this earlier in the series, actually, on the Sermon on the Mount. I tried to find uh, who it was uh, that was, was quote, who I was quoting when I made this point. But I, I know that I, I remember someone saying that uh, Matthew 7 and verse 1, so judge not that you be not judged, may have uh, replaced, uh, now replaced John 3.16 as the most well-known Bible verse among uh, non-Christians and in, in popular discussions of Christianity, popular culture uh, as a whole. It's the, the verse that you see uh, thrown about around most often. Um, and it's not uh, uncommon, at least, for Christians um, engaged in any sort of critique of the culture, any sort of uh, uh, taking a stance on a kind of like a, on a moral issue, to be confronted or met with the accusation that they are acting inconsistently uh, with the words and teachings of you know, the central figure of their faith. This is not what Jesus taught. They say, they say, Jesus taught us, judge not that you be not judged. So you cannot, you shouldn't be criticizing or critiquing culture. You shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be highlighting the wrong, wrongs that are in culture because didn't Jesus teach you not to judge? And Christians, rightly, I hope, respond that very often those words have been misappropriated as a misunderstanding about what Jesus Christ meant. Christ didn't mean that we couldn't critique culture, as it were. Um, and that has a lot of truth to it. And one of the things that we'll do this morning in this sermon um, is affirm that the command of Jesus Christ for us not to judge, in one sense, does not mean that Jesus Christ didn't expect us to exercise judgment at all. There is a nuanced sense in which Christ is referring to do not judge, that actually um, hum good humanity, righteous humanity, requires us to always be engaged in judging at some level. And that's true, I think that's biblical. And yet, as true as that is, it must not distract us, though, from the fact that in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus Christ does give us a clear command. So even if there's a nuance to it, there's also a nuance that requires us to say that Jesus does not want us to engage in judgment in some way, that there is a kind of judging that people do which is sinful in the sight of God, wrong for Christians to do. More so as well because of the seriousness, the frankness, the sternness with which Jesus Christ addresses his disciples here. We've said over and over again throughout the series, and what's happening in Matthew 7 is Jesus Christ is addressing his disciples. He's talking to his people. It's to his people that Jesus speaks when he says, you hypocrite. If you're engaged in this type of judgment, you're being a hypocrite. Look at the strong words that Christ uses, words that um, really tell us at the very least that to behave like this is to, to, to live and to walk out of step with your Christian profession. It's, it's, it doesn't reflect well upon a true follower, disciple of Jesus. There's a seriousness about it. And, and I will stress this throughout the sermon, that the... The major point of Matthew 7 is to say that this, this portion of, of, scripture, of scripture that I've read is, is to say to us as Christians, 
that Jesus really does not want us to engage in judging people at all. So, so, so whatever this nuanced version of judgment is, whatever Jesus means by judgment here, he really doesn't ever want us to do it. It's such a serious thing. There's no place for judging others in the Christian life. Um, and, and, of course, the fact that it's a warning here, the way Christ speaks and that Christ is addressing his disciples, certainly it implies that although it's true that this is inconsistent with a Christian profession, Jesus Christ is also aware of the fact that Christians might fail in this area. Some might say Christians are prone to failing in this area. Is that why there is such a um, a severe uh, reprimand towards the action? Because Christ knows that there is something about our, you know, we, we still have sin in us. That means that there's a tendency for us to fail in this area in particular. So that all of us have to humbly listen to the words of Christ and search our hearts through and through and ask him to give us the grace to reject, to resist, to run from this sinful attitude. So there's no place for judging in this way. Do not judge. Don't judge others. Um, And if you remember a point I made earlier on in uh, preaching last, last week, I think it was, about the possibility that the context of these commands in this command in Matthew 7 and the one earlier in in Matthew 6 about not being anxious that the context of those verses require us to connect them to Jesus Christ's earlier instruction in Matthew 6 on piety and the life of um, and praying that maybe what happens in Matthew uh, 6 through to 7 is Jesus Christ teaches us about prayer and the private devotional life living before God and then he unfolds what that life should look like, if you want, um, in, in the public space and, and, and in our relation to others. So that um, in relation to the first three petitions about hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, Christ tells us what that means is the life of, of the person who prays that way will, will demonstrate that they, they believe they're praying, that their praying is full of faith by living in such a way where their focus is solely on God. Don't lay up your treasures on earth, lay them in heaven. Have a single focus so that all the light that is in you is light and not darkness. Um, Can't serve two masters. And then the fourth petition says that uh, we should pray for our daily bread. And then we have this teaching on living anxiety-free. The man and woman who has entrusted their daily bread, knowing that God can provide this, who has entrusted it into God's hands, ought not to and has no right to, if you want, live with, ridden by anxiety and worry and fear. Then the next petition is about forgiveness, right? Forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we forgive those who have sinned against us or trespassed against us. I remember that in that petition, there's also this strong, God attaches, after the the Lord's Prayer, God attaches this strong reasoning to it, telling us, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So it's no small thing. You have to take seriously the prayer request for God to forgive your sin. You take it seriously, and it's demonstrated in a life that's forgiving towards others. If this connection is right, then the words in these first five verses are referring to that. That the person who prays, forgive me my sin. And that's why I've loaded, we load, I loaded our service this morning with 
you know, references to the, that most basic and yet most precious expression uh, of the Christian life. Asking God to forgive us, right? It's one thing that we all confess. When we come to Christ, one of the reasons why we, we, we've come to God, one of the reasons why we love Jesus is because he forgives us our sins. Who am I if my sins are not forgiven? To quote the psalmist earlier on, and I'll quote him a number of times in, that, that, that I read from Psalm 130, if you should count iniquity, who can stand? But with you, there's forgiveness. I just come for forgiveness. Those of us who pray that way, forgive us our sins. Forgive my sins. Those of us who fail people, we let people down. We do bad things. We do wrong things. And like, you know, when we're being gripped by the shame and the regret, we say, God, please forgive me. Forgive me for what I did. Those of us who say that and then want to leave, you know, want to get up from our knees and walk out with freeness because it's a, it's a, it's a burdensome thing to feel guilty, to feel shame, to feel dirty because of the wrong things we've done. But we say, God, forgive me. And we feel like Jesus does forgive us. He washes away my sin and I stand up and I'm free. I don't have to feel like I'm a monster. I can feel like I'm God's child because... Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other name I know, no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Those of us that say that from the very depths of our heart, then must demonstrate that by a life that reflecting that same light of grace towards others. And that's why Jesus speaks in such powerful terms. Don't judge others because you need because you love because you desperately want because you consistently rely on the grace of God so how can you live judgmentally towards others Christians can have no place for being judgmental and yet I say those things I say those words and it makes me nervous. I shake a bit because I just know how judgmental the church can be. So how is this happening? How does this happen? We need to repent, right? We need God's grace. We need to be warned and reminded. We need to walk in righteousness. Okay, so let me um, explore some of these further. I'm just going to ask three questions of the, of the text this morning uh, and, 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 and hopefully help us to get to the heart of Christ's commands for us, the grace that's, that's there, the wisdom that's there, the power that's there. First question is, what the command to, 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 to judge means? What does it mean? So, sorry, to not judge. When Christ says, judge not. You remember I said earlier, there's a nuance to this, and it's in the, in the failure to appreciate that, that folks have gone awry and gone astray, and Christians are wrongly accused of, of, break, of, 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 of failing in that regard when they don't. So, I do think that the church can have, our churches can be judgmental places, not just towards people that are outside, but even towards ourselves inside. But very often also, Christians can be accused of being judgmental or judging others because people have misunderstood what Christ was saying. Um, and so, to understand what the, what, what the command is, it's important for us to understand what the command is. Now, to do that, it's probably equally helpful to say what it doesn't mean, right? It doesn't mean this. Uh, so I'll, I'll say that. I'll tell you what it, this command cannot mean. And then we'll say more positively what it does mean. Now, the word itself that translates judge, right? So when Christ says judge not, almost lends itself to this kind of, um, I don't want to say complexity, but the, 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 the nuances that need to be 
appreciated. It's, the word itself can mean almost a variety of things. So it can, it can refer to judge in the sense of how you sit in, how, how a judge sits on a bench in a law court and makes decisions, judges things to be right and wrong. But it can also just refer to judge in a sense of discretion and critique and um, discerning between what is right and wrong. I judge, or discerning between what is better and inferior. I judge, I judge this to be inferior. I judge this to be superior. So, so almost the, the question, the, the word itself lends itself to us having to ask what Christ actually means when he uses the word. So that, for example, and I should say this, as far as that, that process then, what does Christ mean when he says, don't judge? The meaning has to come from the context of the passage, the wider context of Christ's teaching, and the wider context of the Bible as a whole. That, that is to say, if you find yourself teaching something from this passage, saying this passage says this, but it contradicts the rest, something else in Christ's teaching, or it contradicts other parts of the scriptures and other things that the scriptures positively, positively recommend or tell us to do, then you know you've got the meaning of Christ's words wrong here, right? So Christ's words here cannot contradict other things that he tells us are good or other things that the Bible says are fine uh, or that we should be practicing. That's one, 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 one rule of thumb that we can hold dear to and, and we can simply apply. So for example, we know then that this passage can't be saying that Christians can't work in the legal system or that Christians can't ever go to court or that um, Christians can never aspire to be judges, right? Um, or that judges are unchristian. I mean, first of all, the passage is not dealing in the context of, uh, of, uh, of, of, it's dealing in the context of interpersonal relationships between people. It's not dealing in that, in, in the context of a, a government, for example. And secondly, it's because we know how positively the Bible speaks about things like institutions like courts and, and, and government, uh, and how God in the Old Testament, for example, initiated and created systems for judgment, if you want. So things that you would say are similar to our law courts, right? So it, it would be unheard of for it to be biblical teaching that judge, just, uh, judges or law, system, or law courts are, are, are sin. Right? You can't say, when they, if they summon you to court because of something you did wrong, you can't say, Jesus Christ says they're not judged, so I'm not coming. Right? You, you're, being, you're, 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 you're twisting scripture. Um, again, maybe closer to home or uh, closer to our experience of this verse, it doesn't mean that Christians should not be discerning or critical. Right? That's not what this verse is saying, that Christians can't decide between what is good and what is bad or what is good and what is better. It's impossible to read the scriptures and come away feeling that's an acceptable thing for a Christian to be. A Christian may very well judge both the aesthetic and moral meaning of a thing. So a Christian might say it looks better for this to be done this way. Christians might say that. This looks somewhat inappropriate. That's because a Christian says that doesn't mean they're being judgmental. We have faculties of discernment. It's impossible to read the scriptures and not appreciate that. That over and over again, people in the scriptures say, you know, I think it's better to live this way. Even in issues that are not sinful either way. Remember the Apostle Paul saying, listen, it's great to be married, but I think it might be better. To the church in Corinth, if some of you 
remain single. Christians can practice um, a stead, uh, discernment and critical. And it's not a Christian thing for you to just always keep streaming. You might just be a coward or a liar if you, for you to never speak forthrightly about things. And even more so when it comes to moral issues. This verse is not saying that Christians cannot call evil evil. You, you know that, I remember there's, there's that, uh, is in Isaiah, where Isaiah proclaims woes, curses, God's significant displeasure, and the sign of a nation that's falling away from righteousness, that they call what is evil good, and what is good evil. And saying thou shalt not judge does not mean that Christians don't say that's wrong. That's evil. It's not right. It doesn't mean that. Say, who am I to judge? He's rubbing that bank. He's, he's rubbing that. I can see him. He's rubbing. But who am I to judge him? Right? Who am I to judge? I can't judge. Right? He, he steal, I know he's, he does fraud. He's stealing the money. He, but I'm not going to judge nobody. That's not what it means. <laughs> you can say this is evil. This is wrong. Furthermore, it doesn't mean that Christians cannot uh, discern the, the logic in evil. So, so Christians cannot say the, the reason why this person is in this situation is because they've abandoned certain truth. We can be critical like that. We can say, um, we can say promiscuity, sexual promiscuity leads to, will eventually lead to uh, broken trust in relationships. Uh, promiscuity will lead to broken homes. Broken homes can contribute to broken people in a significant way. We can say that. We can trace the logic of evil where it's evident. We can warn about the consequences of evil actions. When Christ says don't judge, he's not saying don't tell someone. If you do this, you'll face judgment. The judgment of, of God, you face punishment. We can warn people about that. It's not a righteous thing for you to just be strum and say, okay, no, I'm not going to tell people that their actions have consequences. We can rejoice in the judgment of evil. It's not judgmental to say that I judged this person's actions to be evil and I was happy when that person faced judgment for it. Okay, I was actually saying this to, saying this to Deji the other day. I was telling him a story about how when I was in Nigeria, uh, I was living in Nigeria as a kid, and that during the time, one of the most, one of the most, well-known dictators, a really, really big dictator in Nigeria at the time. He, part, he died. And I said, the way we found out was because we were outside and people just started to rejoice. So we, needed, we weren't even watching the news or anything. People were dancing. Like, the whole, everything in life just stopped. Like, people, people stopped driving home. Like, people would stop. Buses stopped. And bus drivers jumped out their buses. And people stopped selling stuff. And they were dancing. Like, what happened? What happened? And you'd say, someone would say, what happened? What happened? And the person would say, thing is dead. And that person would also stop what they were doing and start rejoicing as well and start sending this message. This really, really happened um, because the, the, the man was wicked, right? And there's, there's, that's, that's, it's fine to do. Um, when we see uh, certain types of criminals and abusers facing judgment, finally, it's okay to say, I, I, I was happy to see that person go down. I was happy to see them exposed. There's a, there's a, there's a right way to do that. And it certainly does not mean that Christians do not proclaim the judgment of God. We have to do that. We have to say, listen, God is righteous, God is holy, all have sinned, and you can face justice for your sin. So if someone accuses you of being judgmental because you're basically doing any of those things, 
then you can say you've misunderstood. If we say no one who's a liar, an adulterer, will see the kingdom of God, well, all we're doing is proclaiming God's judgment. We're not the one who judges you, but we are proclaiming God's judgment. If the Christian says you cannot be part of the church and live in sin, it's not because the church is judgmental. You know, folks do that all the time. They say, the church, that church was so judgmental. What happened? I told them I wanted to keep living with my boyfriend, and they said they would discipline me if I... No, that church is not judgmental. The church is righteous and proclaiming the judgment of God. Um, Christians can do that, right? And so th basically, this passage is not ruling out all forms of judgment. You know, you know how in the scriptures there's a close relationship between justice and righteousness. And if there's no area in our lives in which we pursue and display and yearn for justice, it's because we are unrighteous. It's not because we're good, it's because we're bad. So there's some forms of judgment that we have to be embracing in our lives. Okay? And that, that's helpful because of, especially, maybe especially because of current conversations around the issue. But the point here is that Jesus Christ makes a more positive assertion in saying, I don't want you to judge. Christ doesn't concern himself with all forms of judgment. He tells us, and we must not forget this, that there is this type of judgment that we must not engage in. In a sense, you might say that Christ allows us to partake in all forms of judgment apart from the judgment that belongs to God. There's a judgment that belongs to God. And when we start to engage in it, it's because we are hypocrites. It's because we are bitter and vindictive. It's because we are unloving. And so this passage says there's a kind of judgment that you must not partake in. And as far as this kind of judgment is concerned, um, you can say we're not to be judgmental. You can say as far as this judgment is concerned. And in a sense, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of, it's a quality, it's a kind of judgment that has more to do with the heart behind which we approach issues. So, the point being, I said Christians can do all these kinds of things. Christians can critique culture. Christians can call evil evil. Christians can proclaim the judgment of God. Christians can rejoice. But we can do it either in a way that is gracious and pleasing to God, or we can do it in a way that is judgmental. So just because you say, oh, but I'm calling evil evil, doesn't mean that you're not being judgmental. If this spirit that Christ is rebuking is in you, if this attitude that Christ is rebuking is what you're demonstrating. So what kind of judgment does God tell us not to ever engage in? It's, you might say, Christ says, it's, it's don't condemn others. It's this censorious condemnation of other people that we are not to engage in. Christians are never to be people who condemn others and say that that person is beyond hope. Christians are never to look down on people as being inferior to them because of their faults. You are lesser of a human being than me because you failed in this regard. Or to put it differently, Christians are never to say, you deserve less of God's love than I do because of the way you live. We're not to act towards people in a way that suggests that we feel that we are more deserving of God's grace and love. 
and that this person has been so bad and this person has acted so, so poorly and has failed so much that it's impossible for them to be loved by God the way I am. That should never come from your lips. It should never be an attitude you display because what a distortion of God's love. You see, our, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ never plays with things. He never plays with his cross. He doesn't play with the gospel. And these things distort the gospel when we live this way. Christians must never be people who treat others as beyond redemption or as unworthy of a second chance. We must never be those kind of people. Say, you're, you're subhuman in the way we treat you. Because whether we know it or not, what we're saying to that person is, Christ's blood couldn't atone for your sin. We're never to be in the position where we say that. Never to be judgmental. We must never be controlled by that spirit. It's bitter, it's unforgiving, and it's unbecoming of the person who has just cried out to God, forgive me, have mercy on me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. The person who says those words must not live in the old spirit of unforgiveness and being judgmental. It's like you know nothing of the redeeming grace of your Lord if you live this way. Don't be judgmental. And so we have to be asking ourselves is when we do judge, and human beings will always, always exercise the faculty of judgment. It's funny. When people say to you, don't judge, very often they're judging you. We will always, always exercise our, our faculty of judging people. The question is, in what spirit am I judging Am I judging in this way that my Lord says it should never even be seen on you? He reprimands it. He rebukes it. And yet, sadly, even though our, our Lord has the clearest, most powerful words to say against this form of judgment, we have to admit that very often it's found in the church. And the Lord rebukes us and says, you hypocrites, how could you fail to display grace when you are surviving by it? You hypocrites. He rebukes us, right? And don't we, don't we have to admit that we, we, even though we, we, it shames us, we've often seen the spirit present in our lives when Christians start feeling too good to, around, to hang around certain people, certain types of people. Now, I do know that we have to be careful with our community and the people we, we keep close, and there's a sense in which, absolutely, um, uh, uh, that we don't want to corrupt our good morals. Right? There's, a, there's a sense in that. Right? We have to be careful about the company we keep, about the friendships and the things we allow. But very often, that's not our main issue. Very often our issue is just feeling like we're better than this person. You know, someone comes to you and you know, maybe they have, a, they have a habit of speaking in ways that are not, they, 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 their language is uncouth, as my, my son likes to say. He's, uh, their language is, uh, you know, is, is, is not refined. You know, bleep, 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 bleep every time when you speak to them. Like, you wouldn't use that language. It's too rough. But all of a sudden, you can't hear what they say. So, because now their language is interspersed with, uh, with, with, with maybe swearing or cursing or just... Now you can't hear their desperate cries for help. You can't hear their emptiness. You can't hear sometimes their wisdom. Christians feeling like we're better than other kinds of people. We should never be in that position. Um, we, we look at people and we, we judge them based on 
how they dress, we conclude that this is what this person is like. Look how he's dressed. This person is, is beyond the reach of God's grace. Look how they're dressed. This person must be this kind of person. We, how do you know that? You're not God. You don't search the heart. You judge. You look outwardly. You don't look inwardly. Don't we have, doesn't that happen in the church? Don't people come into church and say, I came and feel like they left our church and the primary concern these folks had was my lack of wearing a tie. I mean, it's probably not going to happen here at this point. But it was my dressing. Okay, maybe my dressing wasn't like uh, aligned with how they dress, but they could have cared for something else beyond that. Right? Don't, you, don't we experience that in church? Don't we refuse to think of the possibility of redemption for certain people who have done um, things, evil things in the past? Isn't sometimes the church even a place where we, we write people off easily, very easily? We saw someone failed us in a certain way, and we decide that person is beyond redemption. They have to carry this cloud upon them forever because we've been exposed to one side of them. Don't we still struggle with making certain types of people comfortable in our congregations, a judgmental spirit. Haven't we seen that very often uh, single parents feel the judgment of the eyes of their own brothers and sisters upon them, divorcees, folks who are falling into public sin? How do they feel in our churches, embraced by the grace of Jesus Christ that lets you know brother A, who has, not, who has no stain on his uh, on, his, on, his, on his name, no stain on his, is no better than you in this church. He's not loved any, any more than you. In fact, we, we care for you more because we've seen you go through your weakness. Do people always feel that way in our churches? Or, 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 or don't they feel like we press upon them the stigma of their failings? Maybe a particular reference, a, a particular expression of this in Christian, in church that has to be and I'll just say this last one that has to be acknowledged, is, is how the Bible teaches us how we engage in, in liberty, right? Now, there's, a, there's true that the Bible says we, we sacrifice our liberty, right? So we have, you might feel the liberty to do a lot of things, but because of your brother or sister in Christ, you hone it in, you, you, you hold up your liberty, you sacrifice your liberty to serve someone else. But there's also another side in which the Bible says if your brother or sister feels that liberty to do a certain thing, which is not intrinsically sinful, it's not sinful enough itself. I'm not talking about sin here. That you ought to um, don't judge them. There's just there's just many aspects of of, the, of of Christian life that I can't make a judgment call on it. I don't know your heart, and I'm happy with let, let God do the judgment. But so often Christians have run to judgment. Someone has come into church. You don't really like this style of dress. I'm, I'm not saying not saying that there's no such thing as poor dress. I'm not saying that there's no such thing as immodesty. Yes, there is. But it's just not, and this is, you, but this is not just to your taste. And you said all kinds of things. As soon as they come in, you look and you say, hmm, I need to ask them about the devotion. <laughs> you look at them and you say, hmm, let me see if I can, do you want to start praying? Should I start calling you for prayer? You just assume all kinds of things about this person. There's a sense in which you feel superior to them. You look at these, ah, What's the spiritual state of this church become? It's just, it's judgment. We're, 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 we have a habit for it to be judgmental. And Jesus Christ says this should never even operate in the life of the church. It shouldn't even be present. Because 
what it means is we're not living by the grace of God. We're, 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 we're boasting in some kind of righteousness of our own. And the one place where that should never happen is the church. So that's what this judgment is that Christ says we must never engage in. It's a judgment that condemns people. But I'm saying to you, it's a judgment that we are prone to. And we have to, by God's grace, resist it. Why does Jesus command us not to judge? What's the reason? Now, of course, there might be many reasons that we could explore. I'm just thinking about what Jesus Christ says in these verses. Christ says, don't judge, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I'm going to have to do some explaining at some point. Because um, just to suggest to you what I think is, is going on here. So Jesus Christ says, don't judge. I think Christ says, don't judge. Because you don't want to face God's judgment. So when Christ says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. I, I think the judge in that instance is not so much, you know, you judge someone, so they're going, someone else is going to judge you back. But before the throne of God, before the judgment seat of God, Christians should never be judgmental because we are the ones who rejoice in our rightful in injustice being placed on someone else. We were so, we're so happy that God condemned his son and not us. And so we shouldn't judge. How can you say with your lips, oh Lord, if you count iniquities, who would stand? And then be counting your brother and sister's iniquities is the point that Jesus Christ is making to us. God alone is judge, so don't judge. God alone is judge, but you hypocrite, Jesus Christ says. How did he judge you? He judged you by covering your sin. You know, there's a word for that. It shocks me always in the New Testament. Sorry, in the Old Testament, I read it, but it's the, it's the New Testament teaching of atonement as well. That what God does with our sin is like he covers it. He covers my sin so that it doesn't rear its ugly head and destroy me as it ought to. He doesn't make me pay back and fix this. I can't do it in my own strength. He covers my sin. So how could I come out from this scenario where my sin has been covered, and the first thing I do with my head lifted eye is now say, okay, now you, let, now let me address yours. You, your sin was just covered. That's the only difference here, no? Your sin is covered. It's not because you are better than this other person or more righteous. God alone is judge. So Jesus Christ says, being judgment, having a judgmental spirit, if you live as a judgmental person, it's, it's, it's almost like bringing, yourselves, bringing yourself under the judgment of God because you're, what you're saying is, I've not known anything of the patience or the kindness of God. I've not known that. So what Jesus Christ says is, the Christian who has their mind focused on the final day of judgment will not judge other people. Those of us who believe in final judgment are the ones who should be least judgmental in this sense. Because on the final day, as we always say, we're going to say, no righteousness of my own, not in me. We sang that earlier, not in me. When we talk about casting our golden crowns before God at his feet, it's because we're saying on the last day when we stand before God, we're not going to have a leg to stand on or anything that we intrinsically deserve. And so because 
On the last day, we stand and say, God will redeem me uh, from all my iniquities, just according to his grace. How can we then not understand what it means to look at someone and say, they can be redeemed, and say, your failings don't have to define you when God did it for us in the most unmistakable way. He didn't allow our, our, weakness, our wickedness to define us. He didn't allow that. He let his son carry it for us. And so Christ tells us not to judge because it's a poor reflection on the grace of God. It's also a poor reflection on the justice of God. Because when we start to judge other people, what we're telling, when, we're, when we're living with a judgmental spirit, if the church is judgmental, what the world is telling, what the church is telling the world is that we serve a God who is going to condemn you. We serve a God who is going to expect you to earn your righteousness. When no, we, we, we want to say we serve a God who is just, but who is so loving and merciful that he has dealt with the requirements for justice. That he's so loving and merciful that he's willing to wash away your sin. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, Christ commands us not to live with this judgmental spirit because he doesn't want us to be poor evangelists. He doesn't want us to, to, to distort the praises of God. You know, Peter says, God called us out of darkness into his, his marvelous light so that we can de declare his excellencies. God wants us to give a right representation of who God is, of who he is. God is just. God is love. And so we tell people, you deserve condemnation. God is just. But because God is love, you can be redeemed from that condemnation. You can be forgiven. Your, your sin does not have to define you. Jesus Christ died to take up your sin. Those of us who proclaim this, this God who doesn't treat us like our sins deserve, cannot afford to live with a judgmental spirit, condemning people when the, the story of our lives is that we've been freed from condemnation. Not willing to give people a second chance when God has given us a thousand. It's impossible to live that way if you have believed the gospel. So that's why Jesus Christ commands us not to judge, he says, he says, because you know how you expect to be acquitted on that final day of judgment. You don't want God to count all your sins. So stop counting people's sins. And lastly, last question I'm going to ask you is, third question, how do we avoid being judgmental then? How do we fight against this spirit? Christ gives us this warning. Don't judge. How does Jesus tell us that we can resist this urge to judge? So verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I'm, I'm, I'll say something about those verses in a second. But once again, I think that what Jesus says in those verses, verse 3 to 5, is... Don't judge at, don't be judgmental at all. I think that's all Christ has to say to us. Never be judgmental. Abhor a judgmental spirit. Resist it, reject it. So, so how do we avoid being judgmental? How do we come? The first thing is just listen to your Savior. Listen to his words. 
All of us are called to examine ourselves, repent in those areas where we have been judgmental in the past. All of us are called to examine ourselves, and when the temptation comes to be, um, to be judgmental, to resist it and reject it, all of us are called to examine ourselves and to see that it is a serious sin to be judgmental. Do not be judgmental at all. And maybe some of us find we have a proneness to this. We just have a strong, we have, it, might, it sometimes reflects itself in, in how quickly we give up on people. Right? It, it just, this person is just it's trash. It's not worth it. Look at what, look at what no, 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 we don't, might not say it, but subjectively, there's no redemptive quality in this person. Like, I'm done with them. It might reflect itself in that. Because this is a violation of that second great commandment to love. A judgmental person doesn't have persevering, lasting, long-suffering love. Impossible. And if that's how you are, if, you're, if, if, you're, if your life is, if your life is, is, is like that, you, you examine your life and you can see, you just, you just close your eyes, you look, and you, you see that notebook, that black notebook, and all the names of the people who you have decided are trash. I saw how that person said this. I'll never talk to this one again. I saw how they spend their money. We're never going to share again. I saw how they eat in people's houses. Never get an invite again. When you see that list, it's just, you compile it and you, maybe you, you ask yourself, am I a judgmental person? It's a dangerous thing to have. Listen to the words of your Savior. But notice how Jesus Christ stresses this. Take the beam out of your own eye, the log, before you try and take out the speck of your brother's eye. Now, possibly, and I think most people really like this. I'm suggesting that I don't think this is the case. But most people really like saying, Jesus Christ has said, how could you be trying to judge someone else when you have your own issues like this? What you ought to do is deal with your own big issues. So you're a hypocrite because your issues are like a log, like a big, massive plank of wood. You have like a whole structure in your eye but you're here trying to focus on your, your splinter that your friend has. Take out this, deal with your own structure, break it down, remove the log, and then you can clearly approach your brother and sister and then try and help them with the splinter. There's some truth to that, I guess. I, 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 do, I, I imagine that it, it might be helpful for us to deal with our own big issues before trying to deal with other people. I don't even think that's what Christ is saying, though. I think the Christ point he's is is making is almost like this. I have so many problems of my own I'm so unworthy of judging anyone else. I've got a log in my eye. Why would I even be worried? This person has a splinter to deal with. This person has a speck of wood to deal with. In, in, in the sense of, metaphorically speaking, because the point is, Christ is not saying that there's anyone in this world that only has a few issues with them. We can all have beams in our eye. The point is, when it comes to you thinking that you should be judged over that person... That person's sins, is like, they're like a splinter to you, like a speck. There's no place for you judging other people at all. Focus on this beam that you have in your own eye. Focus on your own log. The point is, we only come to this place of having a judgmental spirit towards other people when we start to, uh, uh, we, we start to uh, give ourselves some sense of worthiness. When we start to think that we are better than others, when we don't realize the seriousness of our own sin problem. So, so how's this, what's the other thing to do to, to deal with a judgmental spirit? 
is really to understand what the Bible says about human nature. It's really to understand what the Bible says about your stance before God. Is what in, 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 in theology is referred to as total depravity, for example. It's to truly believe that you are a righteous sinner before God. And that in that sense, you are equal with all men and women. None of us can stand is what David says, if God should count iniquity. Okay, maybe his iniquity, might, I think it's worse than mine, but none of us will stand. We're all guilty. And for you to see that, that because I've sinned against a holy God, I'm no better than you. You won't have time to be judgmental of anyone else when you realize how unworthy you are. Get a sense. And this, is, this is the problem with, you know, like uh, all these self, self-motivation and so forth. Now, 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 I appreciate there's, there's nuances, there's areas in which uh, they can be helpful, I guess. I mean, but certainly it ought not to be coming from your preacher on Sunday. You don't need it from him. He has a Bible. There's so many YouTube videos if you really want to be into some, some self, self-motivation that it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that your preacher thinks that's what he should be doing. But, but the thing is, the, the temptation with those things is to blur or, 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 or distract us from what the Scripture said about who we are before God. It's all well and good that you're inspired to, to run better, you're inspired to work better, to achieve better, to be entrepreneurial. But don't forget that when it comes to your standing before a holy God, apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, God knows you're a sinner worthy of eternal condemnation. I don't know that there's a greater way to get a sense of our depravity than to look at the cross of Jesus Christ and to see that if my sins were so little, if my sin was little, then the solution for it would not have had to be the death of the Son of God. I've never read in the scriptures a passage where the apostles teach or Jesus teaches that he died more for one person than the other. That you need my blood more than that person because I've never seen that in the scriptures. And so if the Son of God had to come to the cross for you the same way he came for me and had to bear the wrath of God for you the same way he had to bear the wrath for me and had to live a perfect righteous life, life for you and satisfy the law for you the same way he had to do for me, it must mean that I have the same problem that you have. That yes, you have demonstrated your depravity in some more sinister, greater, abhorrent ways. I'm not denying that. But you are not more depraved than me. You are not more in need of the grace of God than I am. So on what grounds could I be judgmental towards you? I will proclaim the justice of God. I will say what is wrong is wrong and what is right is right. But I will never be judgmental and condemn you. I can't. I'm not God. Not only am I not God, I'm guilty. It's hypocrisy. So see the seriousness of your own sinfulness. Be humbled by the reality of who you are before a holy God, a sinner. He knows your failings. He knows your, 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 your selfishness. He knows everything about you that other people don't know. And lastly, to, we, we combat a judgmental spirit by rejoicing in the grace of God, the person who gazes on the love of God that they have received in the gospel will never be judgmental towards someone else. You, you always, you're going to look at that person and say, my life is about how Jesus gave me another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance. 
You're going to look at this person who has fallen and you're saying, but my life is a story about how he did not let me go. How can I boast against you? How can I judge you? How can I have a judgmental spirit? How can I be, be so bitter towards you to feel like you're, you're beyond redemption or don't deserve redemption when he gave me a redemption that I could never deserve? And when you look upon the grace of God in Jesus, when we rejoice, and that's the problem, we're not rejoicing in the grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am who I am because of what Jesus has done. So I'm nothing, I'm empty, he's everything. And when we're living that way, when we're living that way, we're not going to be judgmental towards other people. Yes, there I go before the grace of God. Rejoice in the grace of God. Live a gospel-centered life. The problem that so many of us, of us have is we don't allow the gospel to invade our thinking and our life. You know, so, so for example, you're watching on the news uh, a, a fellow being paraded and people are analyzing some acts that he's done or, you're, or this is happening on social media and you just allow the world to tell you how to feel or to think about that person. And before you know it, you join in the same outcry. And before you know it, you, you join in the, in the same level of criticism. And before you know it, you're speaking without grace without redemption, but we never have a right to not pass our judgment of anything in this world under the lenses of redemption. You should always analyze everything that you do in this world through the eyes of God's redemptive grace. That's how you determine what is what. And what we need to do is strive to live gospel-centered lives. What does believing the gospel of Jesus mean for how I relate to this person, this issue, this scenario, this situation? And as we strive to apply the gospel to our hearts, we will see that we are freed, delivered from a judgmental spirit. Let me close by saying this. I started off by saying that this is, this is a common thing that is said today, that... Christians should not judge. And people really hate, they hate what they think is a judgmental spirit. Now, whatever misunderstanding there is there, this, this much is true. It's not a nice thing to feel judged. Sometimes people are wrong when they say you're judgmental. Sometimes you're right. And a lot of times you're right because human beings are just naturally judgmental. And it's not a nice thing. It's not a nice feeling to feel judged. I, and I agree with that. And it's a shame. It, it does feel painful, especially if you find it in the church. Come to the church and you feel a judgmental spirit from the people who you think should be the least judgmental. That must be painful. It's not a nice feeling. Uh, it's not a nice, nice feeling to... And, and that's why we, we, we kind of live... In a sense, we, we're so concerned for the approval of others because we are afraid of being judged. You know, it's, it's why we all we all kind of dress a certain way, a, a way that accords to the cultural norm. Because if you came into this building and dress in a way that no one has dressed in this country since, um, I know stylish people do weird things, but no one has dressed in this country since the, like, the 17th century or something, everyone's going to look at you and you draw their gaze and the idea of feeling judged. It's not a nice feeling. And it's not a nice thing. It's often not a nice thing for people to do with us, to do to us. But what if that feeling we have of being judged comes from an innate guilt that human beings have? 
Now, very often it's true. We haven't actually done anything to someone, but there's just a, a guilt that's underlying us. That's why very often people who then go to another extreme, people say, I don't care what people think about me. And so they start to do the craziest things, the most selfish things, right? It's one extreme or the other. Either we're controlled by what people are saying about us, or we are running to all kinds of ex extremes to escape this idea of what people say about us. Why, why this sense of, 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 of feeling to run from some judgment? And I think it's because there's a deeper guilt that we feel. A guilt that human criticism, human, uh, uh, hu human accusation is only a mere reflection of. A guilt that goes with us everywhere. A guilt that we are not what we're meant to be. A guilt that there might be someone who sees me and knows that I'm not what I am. And what human beings say about you really does not matter. You're right. You, you really should strive to not care, ultimately anyway, about what people feel about you. To not let what people feel about you control your life. That's very true. You should strive for that. But why is it so difficult? Why do we still feel? I think it's because there is a greater judgment that's possible. It's the judgment of God. I'm saying if people don't see what you are, that's true. God does. And that your biggest need, yes, is not to worry about what people say about you in judgment. But what does God say about me in judgment? And that the Bible is clear. Christians are not to be judgmental, but we do proclaim the judgment of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. When I say that to you, that you're a sinner, that I know that you're a sinner, that I know you're not perfect, you're not righteous, you're not deserving of the righteousness of God, that you deserve God's judgment. How do you feel about that? Do you see me as judgmental? Or do you realize that your biggest problem is you, your guilt before a holy God? And the good news in the gospel is that the guilt that matters the most has been dealt with in the cross of Jesus Christ. The reasons why Christians are free and have liberty is because Jesus has dealt with our guilt. And we don't have to deny justice to do that. We don't have to lie to ourselves. We say, yes, we are guilty. I deserve God's justice. But God is so gracious and merciful that to help me deal with this justice, which I cannot do in my own strength, to cover this justice that would have meant that I will be condemned, he sent his son into the, into the world to bear my sin, to face, to, to, to satisfy God's justice, to face condemnation on my behalf. And now I'm free. I'm justified. Friends, that is true liberty, to live free from the fear of God's judgment. Yes, human judgment is pointless. People are just people, they're fickle. Most times they don't have a full picture. Yeah, don't worry about human judgment. But what about God's judgment? It's true, it's certain, it's right. And the only way to make sure that you're on the right side of God's justice is not to try and earn your righteousness with him at all, but to surrender to the grace of Jesus. Surrender to Christ who died for you. Surrender to Jesus Christ who died so that you may be justified. You don't have to earn the right. You don't have to become a better person. That's not the point. He has done it all. You trust him. You believe in him. And you are justified. Amen.